Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters, episode number 55. I'm interviewing Michael Wagner to discuss about investing in self-storage facilities. Michael was investing in single-family residences and small multifamily like most of us. He found self-storage in 2011 and since then he has only invested in self-storage facilities. He's also teaching others about self-storage industry through his self-storage rebellion university. If you are remotely interested in learning more about why self-storage and how you can invest in self-storage, I recommend you not to miss this episode. Welcome to Wealth Matters episode. Um, How are you today, Michael? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Alpesh. Absolutely. I've been following you for about, I would say, two to three years. Uh, Of course, followed your post on Facebook. I enjoyed them. And we had chatted about a year ago. So we kind of know each other for some time. (laughs) But, um, you know, I enjoyed what you have been sharing with people and what you have achieved in self-storage world. So what's your current focus right now? Yeah, well, I, I'm uh, I'm all in on self storage. I don't really focus on anything that doesn't involve storage <laughs> uh, from a business standpoint. Anyways, okay. uh, I've got two big projects going down in the Carolinas, and aside from that, it's it's most of my focus is dedicated to my students, helping them get their first or second properties up and off the ground. That's awesome. So, how did you get started in real estate? Yeah, well, back in 2007, I was a physical therapist by trade. And, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I knew <laughs> I wanted to do something different. And uh, so I got into uh, multifamily, small multifamily, two to four mm. unit buildings. And I did the landlording thing for about, I don't know, three and a half, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm being honest, that's as much as I could tolerate of it. <laughs> um, not, not to say anything bad about it. I'm very grateful for what I learned during Mm -hmm. those three years of my life. But uh, one of those things was that landlording just wasn't, I wasn't cut out for it. I'll I'll put it that way. Um, And so I decided to look, I I, I knew I wanted to be in real estate, but I wanted to look at different strategies. And and that's when I stumbled on storage. It, uh, it was something that basically I could, I could carry over what I learned as a landlord uh, but a lot of the things that drove me crazy about landlording and rental property uh, didn't seem like they'd be a, as big a challenge for me in the storage world. And, and that's what I, what I decided to do. So you kind of elaborated on that, but why sell storage facilities? What else, right? You mentioned about tenants, what else? And what, what was the reason behind you switching to sell storage? Sure. So in the, in the landlording world, I just wasn't getting where I wanted to go fast enough. It was, you know, a house or two at a time. And it had taken me several years to get to the point where I was at 31 apartments. But when I did the math, I needed like a hundred to 150 apartments to quit my day job. (laughs) And you know, that was a decade away. And so one was the speed, um, right. The economies of scale that storage offers to give you an idea. I needed 31 apartments and I wasn't even close to quitting my job. And when I 
shifted my focus to storage, I actually quit my job the day I bought my first storage facility. Wow. So to tell, tell us about it. What was that first storage facility? Well, I, you know, and, <laughs> and I want to add a disclaimer that this is not necessarily what I would recommend uh, <laughs> for newer folks getting started. It was, I was just in a position where one, I was fortunate to have the support of my wife. We lived below our means so we could afford to take the risk. But essentially, I quit a decent paying job as a physical therapist to buy a property that on the day I bought it was losing $2,000 a month. Oh, wow. It was, it was a smaller facility, only about 10,000 square feet, but it had a lot of outdoor storage and some room to expand. And it was only 50, 55% full. So my brain thought, well, hey, if we fill it up, it'll be worth almost double. And that might've been a little naive, um, but the truth is that's exactly what happened. Nine months later, we were full and I had bought it for all in. My acquisition cost was 350,000 and nine months later, I had an appraisal at 750. Wow, wow. So it worked well. We were able to refinance and expand several times over the course of the years. And then that first property I actually just sold last year. That's awesome. Yeah. So can you compare self-storage as investment to multifamily or single family? I know toilets, etc. cetera. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, for one, there's a lot of similarities, right? The fundamentals are the same. All we're doing is buying and owning real estate yeah. that we then rent out to other people at a, a price that is greater than our cost to own and operate it, right? It's exactly. no different in that yeah. regard. Yeah. The, the big difference, uh, two, the, probably the two biggest differences are this. One is the income to expense ratio, where okay. the industry standard in multifamily is, generally speaking, three times. for every dollar you bring in in rent, you're going to spend mm. about half of it on operating expenses. Right. right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the storage world, it's about 30 cents of every dollar that oh, goes to okay. operating expenses. And so you've got that extra That's 20 cents difference. on a dollar yes. to in my case, screw things up and still come out ahead, right? Right, right. That's like true. Yeah. So there's that. And, and one of the things that contributes to that, and even more importantly to me, the thing that would alleviate the high blood pressure that I had as a landlord um, was the eviction process. Uh, <laughs> we don't have an, I'm with don't you. Have an eviction <laughs> process. We've got a lien law process where if someone stops paying us, we simply go through the state procedures and then a month or two later auction their stuff off and we get our empty unit back and we can rent it out again, which anyone who's done any landlording or multifamily understands that that's a whole lot more streamlined compared to the eviction <laughs> process. Yep. No, that, that's a great point too. And also not needing to, you know, spend a lot of money on repair and maintenance as well as time that, you're not going to hear from your tenants, right? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, these buildings, for the most part, are metal walls with metal doors, metal roofs on concrete slabs. Um, and a lot of times a gravel parking lot, maybe asphalt if, you're, uh, if you've got a fancy operation going. But um, compare that to land, uh, rent, residential real estate where you're, you've got drywall and toilets and air conditioners and heating units and bathtubs and everything else that right. can break. Right that as the landlord you have to fix, it's just a, you know, I'm a keep it simple, stupid kind of guy. And, and so storage <laughs> lends itself really well to that. Well, that. That's great. So also on the self-storage world, you are pretty much operating in a much lower price range too, right? Then 
uh, and a multifamily or something because tenants don't have to pay 750 or a thousand bucks to rent. This is 30, 40, 50 bucks, right? So, so it's more of like, more of like a coffee money or something, right? Which they don't care about. Right. It is, it is definitely a, a smaller purchase decision for the consumer. And I think that plays a big role. And, and this whole industry is based on inertia, right? The idea is uh, once the customer's there, it's largely easier for them to continue to cut a check for 50 or a hundred bucks than it right. is for them to get a U-Haul, move their stuff to someplace, wherever they yep. can, yep. right? And so it's just a matter of attracting <clears throat> the customers. So marketing and advertising are critical uh, to our success, but it's, it's not rocket science by any stretch. Yeah, because I, I do know some of my friends, they have put stuff in self-storage and they have forgotten about it. <laughs> One of my friends who was renovating his property and uh, the renovation, renovation was completed, pretty much he gutted it out and rebuilt. Um, and I spoke with him a couple of months ago and he said, oh yeah, he's totally forgot about it. The stuff is still there in self-storage for the last two years, even though he moved into his <laughs> new house or the property. <laughs> Yes, we see that all too often. Right. So have you, do you see any, uh, any kind of issues with self-storage, like any maintenance stuff or eviction? You, you mentioned about eviction, but how easy is it? Is, do, can you auction stuff off or what is? Sure. Yeah, the auction process is really straightforward. It's, you know, certainly it's an area that you could get tripped up on if you uh, don't follow the letter of the law, but every state has lien laws. They're, they differ a little bit from state to state, but by and large, they just have notification requirements and timelines that we have to follow. As long as you follow those, it's really, really straightforward. Um, not to mention we have insurance for unlawful sale in case we mix something up and auction it too soon or without All doing right. the, the proper procedure. Um, you know, the biggest thing for me about storage is it's simple and comparatively speaking, it's been much easier. I found storage to be much easier than uh, residential rental real estate. But that doesn't mean it's all roses, right? There are right. challenges. Um, you've got to have the proper systems. The one thing is in storage, you know, as a landlord, I had to learn that when I was a landlord, if someone called for a two bedroom apartment, I, I could just, if they called during dinner, I could just let the call go to voicemail, call them back the next day, and they wouldn't have found an apartment yet. And I could right. <laughs> In the storage world, really the, the key to success is serving the customer immediately when they have the need. And mm. so for many years, that was me being uh, an idiot and answering the phone myself, even <laughs> if it was during dinner, because that's what it takes to be successful. Right. Now, since then, I've learned there's better ways Processes, to Processes, systems. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And I've got a call center now that handles all that. Awesome. An online portal where customers can do the self-service yeah, thing, move themselves in and out and pay rent. So as long as you, you're willing to learn the systems and put them in place, uh, there's really not a ton of stuff to get tripped up on. Interesting. So um, let's say I want to, and I reached out to you about a year ago because I was trying to figure out if self-storage is a viable option for me. But let's say someone like me who is a beginner, of course, has been investing in multifamily or single family and wants to get started in self-storage. What are some of the steps they should take as soon? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I always recommend that folks get smart on an industry not only before they get started, but before they decide to get started, yes. right? 
Um, I'm a big believer in life work balance. I think as much as I love storage, it's not the thing that excites me when I wake up in the morning. It's, <laughs> it's securely in the position as a means to an end. It's the vehicle or a tool that allows me to meet my financial needs in pretty short order so that I can enjoy life and, and spend time right. with my family and, and do the things that are important to me. So right. that being said, storage is the best thing I found, but it doesn't mean it's right for everybody. And so I would want people to explore the nuances of the industry. Yep, and, exactly. Um, I believe so strongly in that, that I basically um, publish more or less all of the nuts and bolts storage stuff uh, for free on YouTube and Facebook. And, yes. and um, I just put it out there because I, I believe that my role um, on this planet is to be a conduit of the many blessings I've experienced. So storage being one of those, I don't want it to, the things that I've learned to end at me, I want to share them with other people. And um, as much as I can do that for free, I do. Uh, when people want additional opportunities, certainly I do have some paid trainings and that sort of thing, but I'm not here to sell those. That's for people to find if they decide they want to. Um, but I always recommend if you just search at Storage Rebellion on either Facebook or YouTube, you'll find hours and hours of yes. content. Yes, and I, I do recommend people check that out because that's how I found Michael and I enjoyed some of those videos. They were very informative and educational. No, absolutely. And I appreciate you for doing that. Yeah, so absolutely. what are some of the gotchas investor needs to keep in mind while investing in self-storage? That's an excellent question. And, you know, this industry is relatively young. It, it got really right. only come in, came into its heyday starting in the 80s and then it exploded thereafter. Right. Back in the day, you could just put up a bunch of garages in the middle of any <laughs> cornfield in the country and you would make money. Right. Um, Clearly, the industry has matured and is more sophisticated these days. Um, and so making sure you understand the market, making sure you're looking at the proper supply and demand uh, metrics and, and really not, not falling victim to the idea that this is just mailbox money, right? There's strategy uh. involved um, and, and there's different ways to invest. Uh, one, of the, one of the vulnerabilities that I see right now in today's market <clears throat> And it's not to say it can't be done successfully today, but um, I take pause with new developments right now. Oh, really? Okay. Not to say that you can't make money in them and there's a lot of good ones out there that you could invest into, or if you had some land and wanted to invest, there's a chance it might work. But mm -hmm. with the economy that we currently have, where there's some uncertainty about what it's going to look like two to three to four years from now, combined with the very long runway that ground up development requires, I think there's some vulnerability there because right. if you're going to find some land, get approvals, do the build out, and then wait for it to be filled up over the course of two to three years, you're looking at a five to seven year project. Right. And a lot of times new development is based on, hey, we're going to spend $6 million and it'll be worth $9 million when uh -huh. we're done. Well, that's based on a cap rate. And seven years from now, we have no idea what the cap rate what is. What the cap rate be. is. And if the market shifts, you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> and, and so yeah. I see that as a potential gotcha. Again, I want to emphasize, it doesn't mean there aren't great yeah. development project opportunities out there. It's just, I prefer to buy existing properties 
that where I can still add value to them by increasing occupancy, raising rents, um, cleaning them up, making, you know, improving the operations and all that stuff. And then if they support themselves, I can use the cash flow to expand and basically develop a property, but do it in small phases, five Mm, or 10,000 square feet at a time. And that that allows me to kind of get real time market feedback and kind of, hit the gas or the brake, depending on what I'm learning. Whereas when you go for a development, you're basically swinging for the fences from day one and, right. and you can't stop halfway through because you're going to be on the wrong no, side of zero. Still. No. And most of the time you are looking at profit at the back end of the deal, right? When you exit out, when you are developing. But as you said, if you buy a distressed property and you put systems and process in, in place, maybe automate the entire thing. Now 24 hour access, right? You have a gate code and uh, all the nice Wi-Fi stuff, right? Which you could right. do with the property and you can just raise the occupancy right there and use that money to maybe develop something. Because I was looking at one of the property where they had like five, six acre, but the property, you know, the build out is only in a couple of acres. So you have so much land to expand. And if you have cash coming in, you can leverage that cash for expanding. Exactly. Oh, that's a great point. So what kind of rookie mistakes have you seen beginner investors make while investing in self-storage? Well, I'll point the finger squarely at me, right? Uh, <laughs> the first property I ever bought, this is this is something I just didn't know as as a rookie. Uh, these these buildings largely, the ones I invest in, aren't air conditioned or heated. They're just traditional storage. Okay. So I had So no non-climate idea. controlled, right? Something like Correct. that. Okay. And, and so I had no idea that anyone would want that unit to be insulated. Uh, so my first property oh. was not insulated. And my, the first January I owned it up here in New York, we get these 70 degrees oh, in wow. January. And it was raining on the inside of the unit because of condensation. Oh, wow. The condensation was forming on the underside of the roof, just right, like it was right. on the outside of your beer can, of right? Of course. <laughs> and and wow. I ended up having to rip off 10,000 square feet of roof, insulate it, and then put the roof back on. Oh, my God. That's a good lesson. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. And the other thing is, you know, um, another challenge I had on my first property was uh, with the access control, the the electronic security mm-hmm. gates that we install. Um, there's a lot of companies out there that do that, some better than others, and I'll leave it at that. Um, but you just <laughs> want to know what you're signing up for right. before you shell out a couple thousand dollars. Um, because if the service isn't there after the purchase, it can be a frustrating experience. That's right, right. Hey, so do you prefer uh, climate controlled or non-climate control and why? Um, it, you know, I have trended toward non-climate control and it's actually not a preference about the offering itself. Um, although there are less moving parts when it's traditional storage versus climate control. Ah, right, that's true. HVAC. That is true. But, but a simple HVAC system is not going to be... Um, you know, a deal breaker for me. One of my students is actually in the process of buying a climate control property. So we're not opposed to it in any way. But what I found is that in the markets I like to operate in, the secondary and tertiary markets, the, Uh you know, smaller rural areas, there's usually not a great ROI on the climate control. Uh, Oh, okay. It it usually doesn't make sense. And if it does, it's a very small portion of the overall property. I see. So this is great. Uh, Let's take a quick break, Michael, and we'll be back after the break. Thank you.
You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S, dot com. Welcome back to Wealth Matters Podcast. Uh, I'm talking to Michael regarding self-storage, and I'm thoroughly enjoying our conversation. Michael, I have another question. Um, what is your criteria to invest in self-storage? Sure. So um, I'm kind of a value-add guy. So I look for the distressed properties, as I said, and take this with a rule or with a grain of salt because it's just a rule of thumb. But generally speaking, I like to be able to double or triple the value of a property over 24 to 48 months. Wow. And uh, some of the things I do very quickly to figure out if a property might have that kind of potential when I'm looking at either listed properties or talking to an owner is what's called a gross rent multiplier. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very yeah. quickly, if it's $24 a square foot to buy it, I want the annual rents to be at least $6 a square foot. Okay. That represents a gross rent multiplier of four. Four, Anything exactly. four or less, in my estimation, has a ton of potential. And I'll even look at something that's a five or below. Okay. Um, and, you know, I like to be in rural, uh, secondary, tertiary markets just because the analysis and the, the, the exploration of the market is a lot easier, right? I'm not looking at 15 or 20 competitors like I would right, in your town. I'm looking at two or three competitors and I can very quickly ascertain whether or not I'm going to win the race. Right. So do you have any criteria about certain size of population? You know, I really don't. I've got prop. I own one of my best deals, uh, probably tied for first place is down in the least populated and poorest County in all of Florida. Uh, really? And, and that, that gave me a little bit of pause and concern when I was looking at it. Um, but it had some, uh, redeeming qualities that ultimately caused me to move forward with the deal. And I'm very happy that I did. So I'm not scared of towns of a thousand people, to be honest with you. It clearly, um, the population has to be big enough to support it. But if there's no other storage in the area, you can still do really well. Right. Right. And then, as you said, most of the people would shy away from developing another storage in their area. Right? Yep. So this is the question of the day, actually. What happens to self-storage during recession? Ah, and lots an of people are thinking uh, or talking about it, that there is something brewing or something's coming soon. Yep, you know, right? yep. Well, and as I mentioned before, I, I think the storage operators that'll be the biggest hit by, by any recession would be folks that are in the wrong stage of a development play. Mm. Um, that being said, the industry in general tends to be relatively resistant and resilient when it comes to recessions. We've seen it over the last two where, uh, you know, it's not to say it's immune, but generally speaking, storage is affected far less than any other real estate asset on the planet, really. Um, And it kind of makes sense if you think about it, though you would think demand might go down in a recession, people don't have the money. The truth is there's so much transition uh, right. for the population when it comes to foreclosures or having to downsize. Yep. Downsizing. Yep. Yes. They, they, yeah. they want to keep their stuff, right? For 30, 40 bucks, they don't want to give them away. <laughs> right. 
Exactly. And, and if they go from a three bedroom apartment to a two bedroom apartment, they might save three or $400 in rent. And then they can get a storage unit the size of one bedroom, fill it to the brim for 80 or a hundred bucks a month. Right. So, um, and, and you know, that, that's not just a kind of, uh, an example that doesn't hold, hold up under close inspection. If you look historically at the default rates, either during recessions or during good times, storage facilities default less often than any other real estate there is. Even single family houses, primary occupied single family houses default more often than storage facilities, which is saying something because that's the roof over somebody's head. Right. Yeah. And so people, when they have to downsize, they will move into store, they will move things into storage. And when they need to upsize, they don't even care about it. When the market is doing good. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So which markets are you focused on right now and why? Yeah. So, you know, aside from just generally speaking, secondary and tertiary rural markets, I tend to go where the deals are. So I don't have, um, you know, specific criteria about a geographic location other than, and this makes maybe a little odd for, for some folks listening, but again, it goes back to me thinking that this storage thing is supposed to serve my life, not the other way around. So for example, I have two projects right now in the Carolinas, both within two hours of Charlotte. The reason I was looking in Charlotte for opportunities was because I have five friends down there that I don't see often enough. So good idea. (laughs) Part of my vision for my life is to see my friends more this way. Every trip down there, I do a little work and I get a burger with my buddies. Right. And you can write the, write it off. (laughs) Um, It's also not a coincidence that I own a property an hour and a half from Disney world. My wife's Mickey mouse. Exactly. Right. And you can write off. (laughs) Exactly. Now I will say, um, maybe an answer that's a little more helpful to folks right on the surface is between my students and myself, we're finding the lion's share of opportunity for whatever reason is in the Southeast right now. We're finding okay. a ton yeah, of deals which... in North, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, right. um, even Alabama now. Exactly. And, yeah. and those uh, are some great markets even for right now for multifamily or single family. So you're right. Yeah. Cause we have huge migration into Southeast. Right. So yeah, which makes sense. So now let's talk about your deals. Can you tell us about your worst deal? Uh, Yeah. And you know what? I'm very fortunate to, to not have one that's gone upside down. Um, Probably my least exciting deal from a a dollars and cents standpoint is one I'm working on right now in North Carolina. Um, Now it's very exciting. I don't know if anyone checks out the Facebook page, they can search the videos for the forest property. It is cool. I mean, this place was fully abandoned for 10 years. Oh, wow. Forest that looked like a zombie apocalypse. Um, So we bought it earlier this year and and we've completely renovated it so that it looks brand new. Um, But we've been filling up a little more slowly than I anticipated. Uh, I was hoping for three to four move-ins per month and we're in the two to three range. Okay. So we're only at 12% occupancy right now. I'm not cash flowing, um, but I didn't expect to cash flow for the first six to 12 yeah, months. For something so, like that, where it's completely abandoned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's been very cool from a construction standpoint. Um, but I was, very much spoiled by my last deal, which is the one I alluded to in Florida, probably the best deal. 
Um, we bought it in that very small town in the middle of nowhere, Florida. And I only put five grand in. I brought in equity partners and private investors. It was a half million dollar project. And today, just, it's just about 18 months later, the properties, we took it from half a million to about 1.2, 1.3 million. Nice. And we anticipate we'll top out at about 1.5 plus we've got room to expand. Oh, wow. So we this is, this is in the Florida, that County, huh? Wow. Yes. That's crazy. Yep. Yes. So that's it. So what did you do in that deal, which, so that you were able to raise the value from half a mil to over a million? Sure. 1.2? So it, really, I, when people ask me this question, I wish I could, you know, say, Oh, it was so hard. <laughs> I'm a genius. You wouldn't get it. <laughs> but the truth is it, all we did, you, you wouldn't believe me if I told you how simple it is. I went in, I, I cleaned out shop. I mean, we cleaned out like nice. 60 abandoned units. It had been neglected for several years. The owner was in the hospital, sadly. And so um, we really just started operating it again. Now we did implement some online uh, rental portal that we use in a call center. Um, and we raised rates. We went from Oh, about 40% full to 90% full. Get this in under three months when we That's bought crazy. It. That's crazy. I, <laughs> I had projected three or four move-ins a month. And in month three alone, we had 53 move-ins. It was insane. Wow. Um, now, I'm not going to pretend I expected that to happen. It was a good deal, even if we only moved in three or four a month. Uh, it just would have taken longer. Um, right. But there's we're the only facility in a 10-mile area. And so we kind of had a captive audience and mm. people wanted our service. They just couldn't get it from the old owner. And so right. when we moved in, it was relatively straightforward. Yeah. And when you start adding amenities like, you know, gates and coats, as well as clean out the shop, right? It's a nicer looking property. Of course you are going to attract, you know, right tenants. Right. Oh, that's awesome. No, I thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. How can my listeners reach out to you, Michael? Yeah, um, I, I'd love it if they check out the, the YouTube page or the Facebook page. Simply search at Storage Rebellion on either platform. Or if they want to go right to the website, it's thestoragerebellion.com. I've actually also, I don't know when this will air, but I do a once a month, two-hour live Zoom call. And it's one of those, your first time's free. If you want to come check it out, you're welcome to do that. And if you like it, you can come back next month. If not, it's two hours of free education. That's awesome. I'll put that in the show note. This should get published in about three weeks, but I'll let you know. Thank you so much, Michael. I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion. As did I. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If you are on the fence about investing or have any questions about alternative investments, please reach out to me at alpesh at wealthmatters.com. It's A-L-P-E-S-H at W-E-A-L-T-H-M-A-T-R-S dot com. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.